0: You are listening to Seattle Sports Saturday Saturday. with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. If
1: you missed any of the first hour or you missed any part of today's show, you can always check it out on the podcast page, 710sports.com. Every hour of every show at your disposal. Coming up in this hour. We take a look at some of the biggest headlines in the NFL, Week 16. Also, 10.30, a lot of hot takes being thrown the Seahawks' way this week. Hot, hot, hot. We do a hot takedown of those takes. That's coming up at 10.30. Also, some National Signing Day recaps. That's also coming up. Big hour coming your way right here. But, uh, yeah, we've got some NFL games going on. Right this second. It's a
2: special treat. You know, now that college football, it's still around for the bowl games, but it's not the same type of atmosphere on a Saturday. So we get football today.
1: Yeah. It's great. Uh, and it's all day long because it's starting now and it ends deep into the night, probably around 8, 830 with the Rams, 49ers, Bills, Patriots, Texans, Bucks just getting underway right now. Uh, That game's scoreless. We've got a lot of college basketball today. And then there's the Husky game at 4.30. I mean, when the Huskies are kicking off at 4.30, lady, you being a UW fan, where are you going to be come 5 o'clock? How are you going to be able to watch Rams 49ers and Huskies Boise State? I'm going to
2: do like a split-screen situation. One on the
1: TV, one on the laptop. Yeah,
2: exactly. You know, if. if you do what you gotta do.
1: Got to make those sacrifices. Exactly. We're, right. We do the hard work. That's. I mean. That's us. We're just. We're. You know. Someone's got to do it today. <laughs> I guess we'll be the ones to do it. Uh, but yeah, let's let's waste no more time. Let's get into this hour's big three. Number, Number one.
2: As you mentioned, Seirad huge NFL triple header today beginning right now beginning well three minutes ago the Texans and Buccaneers at Tampa Bay to start things off this morning Houston holds a game lead on Tennessee in the AFC South with two weeks remaining the midday game the Bills uh, will be traveling to Foxborough to face the Patriots with first place in the AFC East on the line that is 1 30 p.m today and then the game that all of us will be watching this evening These Seahawks fans got your eye on this one Rams and 49ers from Santa Clara. A loss for the Rams eliminates L.A. from the playoffs, while a 49ers loss would give Seattle a half-game lead in the division heading into Sunday. All three of these games are on the NFL Network today. Um, And, yeah, we'll be following right along. But that one this evening could have some serious implications for the Hawks. And... Also, just a few things to keep your eye on, too, on the injury front for that team. They'll get an extra day going into the Seahawks game, but they're already a little bit depleted on the defensive side of things, just as the Seahawks are right now. So that's what I'll really be keeping my eyes on as well.
1: Number, Number two. two. Quick update on the Bucks game. Jameis Woodson's already thrown a pick
2: six. Well, of course he has. <laughs> Like, it,
1: like clockwork. It's amazing. Jameis Winston with, uh, with an interception. Perfect. Speaking of number one overall picks or potential number one overall picks, in college basketball, the likely number one overall pick has taken his ball and gone home, James Wiseman, center for the Memphis Tigers, He is withdrawn from University of Memphis in order to prep for June's NBA draft. This coming, just about a month after he was suspended 12 games by the NCAA and fined $11,000 after it was found out that head coach Penny Hardaway helped fund the Wiseman's family move to Memphis two years ago. Wiseman only suiting up for the Tigers in two games this year. A big, big blow to the Tigers' title hopes, as well as just one more huge talent in college basketball deciding, you know what, I don't need this to get to where I want to go, and giving all the more reason why the NBA should do away with their one-and-done rule, because really... Why are we withholding the best talent from the NBA right now? And, you know, James Wiseman, another testament to why that rule should be done away with. There's no reason for him to be in college. There's no reason for him to, you know, put Memphis in sanctioned territory. There was no reason for any of this to go down, and it's all because of the NBA's one-and-done rule. It's time to do away with it, and this is just example number one. 500 as to why that rule is very outdated in today's sporting world number three
2: well in a little bit of mlb news this week a little bit of al west news this week keeping up with all the action in this division cleveland indians traded two-time cy young award winner Corey kluber the Klubot, to the texas rangers along with cash considerations for outfielder delano de shields and then a 21 year old relief pitcher emmanuel class Uh, Klub had a rough year in 2019, to say the least. I mean, that might be a little bit of a euphemism. Considering his standards, he had an ERA close to 6. He could be a bounce-back candidate, but... It's a relatively expensive commitment for Texas. Kubat is due $17.5 million this year. He has a club option for $18 million with a $1 million buyout for 2021. That is when he becomes a free agent. But if you look at the Rangers roster, it's starting to get a little interesting. You've got Kluber, Mike Miner, Lance Lynn, Kyle Gibson, and Jordan Lyles. And the AL West... Uh, make moves. You know, we saw what the Angels have done earlier, the Houston Astros or the Houston Astros and the Oakland Athletics are always going to overperform while under spending. So uh, <laughs> this division isn't getting any easier, so to speak. We'll see if this translates into wins, though, for Texas.
1: That is this hour's big three. Yeah, you mentioned Texas in, in their rotation right now. Minor and Lynn were actually two of the best pitchers in the American League. People Kind of forget that because Texas had such a terrible second half of the season. But I believe Mike Miner was among the AL leaders in WAR a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you add Corey Kluber, who they're hoping to be a bounce back candidate. They're opening up a new stadium, which I believe their stadium caught on fire last week. Luckily, no one hurt in that. But uh, yeah, Texas—they're going to be an interesting team to watch because of you know they were well within the American League West race heading into the All Star break a year ago. You add Corey Kluber, who, if he can give you 75% of what he was, that's, you know, 180 innings of, you know, sub four ERA. I'd take that. We don't know how he's going to be in his first full season back from that broken forearm he suffered on his throwing arm a year ago, but, I mean, it's certainly worth a shot. And if he doesn't pan out this season, they don't have to exercise that club option and he becomes a free agent. Uh, but one thing about that move is. It's good for now, but when the Mariners are, you know, hoping to be competitive, absolutely, he probably isn't going to be a Ranger. And the Mariners just kind of biding their time, letting these teams make a run at it right now and and take on these huge contracts. And come 21 and 22, Mariners are going to have a lot of money to spend, Mm -hmm. and there's going to be a lot of good free agents coming up Francisco Lindor, Chris Bryant, Nolan Arenado, just. Names that are, you know, some of the biggest names in baseball. Uh, you know, it's setting up nicely for the Mariners. They just have to continue what they're doing and develop guys, and and hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed. Let's go. It, it you know, things start turning up here in Seattle. Also, this week in the NFL, Jacksonville Vice President of Football Operations Tom Coughlin. Fired after 25% of the NFLPA's grievances were, file, were filed against him specifically over the last year. That's a lot of grievances, and I believe they were successful on like every single one of them because he was fining people left and right for the most ridiculous things. Mm-hmm. We'll get into some of those things coming up uh, at 10:15 when we go over some of the biggest headlines in the NFL, but... His old school style, not jiving with uh, this this era of the NFL.
2: And there's there's always a line to walk there between being, if that is your coaching style, if you're the tough love type of coach. But yeah, it's just this era is different. Players, I'm not saying they deserve to be treated any differently back then, but it's just our, our culture is evolving. And to go with the zeitgeist right now, it's, it's just, it's, Players have more power than ever, and um, I, I think it's good. Things are changing, but yeah, Tom Coughlin. We'll get into the specifics of you know setting back the clocks and just all the little things that he went to took it to the extreme.
1: We'll get into that coming up at ten fifteen. Also today, just a packed sports schedule. Obviously, you've got Bucks Texans going on right now. College basketball: number one Kansas traveling to number eighteen Villanova. Number five, Ohio State playing number six Kentucky in Vegas. You look at the the just the sports slate in Vegas today, you've got the Vegas Bowl between Boise State and Washington later on. In fact, Kansas up two on Villanova right now as the second half is just underway. And then bowl season, it is here. Yesterday you had the Bahamas bowl between Buffalo and it was Buffalo against Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Uh, Buffalo coming away with a 31-9 victory. And then the Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl between Kent State and Utah State, 51-41. The Golden Flash has taken that one. Today, we've got the New Mexico Bowl. We've got between San Diego State, Central Michigan. The FBC Mortgage Cure Bowl between Liberty and Georgia Southern. The Cherubundi Boca Raton Bowl, SMU Florida Atlantic. Two 10-win teams, that might be a good one. Camellia Bowl. Arkansas State, Florida International, the RL Carriers New Orleans Bowl between number twenty Appalachian State and UAB. So
2: No, I we're mean, not making those names out. No,
1: up. those are all real <laughs> bowls. Uh, I mean, none of those bowl names compare to what we're gonna see on Monday in the bad boy mowers Gasparilla bowl Woo! between UCF and Marshall. I mean, I'm I'm here for random bowl games.
2: Yeah, exactly. I don't even want to go to the best bowl possible. I would just want in on that, just for the sake of saying I'm I'm going to the bad boy bowl. Yeah, don't get some it. The
1: T-shirts. Yeah, just it's it's bowl season, folks, and it's oh. it's here and it's one of the greatest times uh, on the sports calendar. Because if you're looking for anything to watch, if you find yourself in kind of a lull around like four o'clock in the afternoon, just turn on ESPN two. There's going to be some weird, weird bowl games. The, uh, let's see here, the Idaho Potato Bowl between Ohio and Nevada, the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl, the Lending Tree Bowl. It's all there for you. There's no reason to to not find a bowl game in the next month or so. Uh, coming up next, though, we're gonna go around the NFL, look at some of the biggest headlines, including the audio between the Bengals security and Patriots video crew. Not a good look for New England. We dive into all of that coming up here. Seattle Sports Saturday, 7-10, ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor
0: Jacobs. On 7-10, ESPN Seattle.
1: You're not going to believe this, but Jameis Winston has thrown a second interception already. He is 0-3 with two picks. Deshaun Watson also 0-3, so no one's completed a pass yet. More com- more passes have been completed to the opposing team <laughs> than c- passes to each team. Beautiful. Yeah, it's
2: Any given Saturday.
1: It is a weird one going on right now in Tampa Bay. Bucks up 7, er, Texans up 7 nothing with about 12 minutes to go in the first half. We got some big headlines in the NFL this week. Maybe none bigger than Jay Glazer of Fox Sports releasing audio of the Patriots getting caught by Bengals security. Here's that bit of, or here's that clip.
0: And this is a piece you're filming on your advanced scout. Yeah, yeah. Come on, guys. (laughs) Twelve Alex Erickson for the Bengals. I don't see the advanced scout in this footage. No, it's not. We were trying to get some field
1: perspective
0: like that. That's not the the field. I I, don't know why you would think you could take that. I didn't know. But I can delete this right here for you. Damage is done, my friend. No, it isn't because we deleted it.
1: Bengal security sounds so much like a disappointed parent. I know. Like, the damage is done. damage is done. You're getting grounded. Like, we know what you did.
2: You know better. I'm disappointed in you. Like, that... Oof, that one burns. Yeah. Mom or Dad says that to you, it just burns.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, when you hear him try to, like, backtrack and be like, oh, we we, we can delete this. Like, if I press right here, it's gone forever. Like, nah, dude, we... We caught you red handed doing what you wanted to do. Right? Yeah,
2: exactly. And if you did nothing wrong, why would you need to you'd just be like yeah. Oh, but it's innocent, so what's what's the problem?
1: Come on, New England, yeah. be better.
2: I don't I, I think I heard a great point. I can't remember who made it this week too, but at this point you just you also don't get the benefit of the doubt. I'm sorry, no. this isn't the same as like innocent until proven guilty, really because you have this past history of behavior and because you've been punished for it. It's almost just the like the how you get increasing fines on multiple offenses. You don't get the same level of leeway because, yeah. because of who you are in your history.
1: And the Patriots, as we are well aware of, they will do anything and everything to bend the rules, to do anything that gets the game in their favor. And I mean, to get caught filming a one-win Cincinnati team of all teams. Whoa. Like, was it worth it? Also, like if they're filming Cincinnati and got caught, think of all the times they haven't been That's, caught.
2: That was immediately my reaction too. Because if if you've been caught this many times at cheating, it either means you're really bad at it, or I think it means that you're doing it so much and you're only getting caught a small percentage of the time. So, yeah.
1: It props to Cincinnati's security team for taking a look at the guest list of Media in attendance that day and seeing two Patriots video in air quotes video people because, mm-hmm. like, if I see anybody from New England <laughs> coming to a Seahawks game where the Patriots aren't involved. Like, red flags going up in my mind, saying I know,
2: and okay. maybe if you are a one-win team, you're not taking your job. You may be just kind of relaxed on your job. Yes. But no, this guy, he was on it. I don't see the advanced scout in that footage.
1: It was, yeah, and Great. if you watch the footage that comes with the audio that Jay Glazer released this week, like, yeah, it is just the entire video is focused on Cincinnati's sideline. It's there is weird. no changing of a camera angle anywhere. We talked a little bit about this uh, earlier in the show. Tom Coughlin fired as Jaguars VP of Football Operations after nearly 25% of the NFLPA's grievances in the last year were filed against him and Jacksonville. Looking at some of these headlines, he set the clocks five minutes fast in the facility because in his mind, if you're more than five minutes or if you're less than five minutes early for something, you're late. He fined Jalen Ramsey for not attending a yoga session, like $90,000. I believe, what was it, Yannick Ngakwe got, like, or no, Dante Fowler got like $700,000 worth of fines reimbursed.
2: Yeah, it, I again, I think, I understand being a tough love football coach, but this is just, this is an abuse of power, I think, and it... it finally caught up to you. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. He, like, he's accomplished a ton in his football career as, as head coach of Jacksonville and also as, as head coach of the Giants. And he even was in charge of Jacksonville from a football operation standpoint when they had that successful year a couple seasons ago. They were leading late in the AFC championship game, uh, but you, you just you cannot rule with an iron fist like that, and expect, you know, especially with how much you know the NFLPA looks out for their players, like it's going to come back to you. And it did with Tom Coughlin. We heard this week that Jacksonville was looking to move on from him anyway. This was just kind of the last straw, and he said, "You know what? We're better off without you." Now it really bring, brings into question the job security of their GM and also head coach Doug Marone because those were guys that Coughlin brought in I think Jacksonville just needs to kind of wipe their hands of all this and say look we need to just make ourselves a a much more desirable destination if we're going to compete because like right now we've seen it from Jalen Ramsey he was desperate to get out of there I think was it Damon Snacks Harrison or no it was uh, Olivier Vernon he wanted out Telvin Smith just up and quit. Like, he was, a, I don't want this anymore. He retired this last season. Who knows if he comes back, because he was still pretty young when he retired. Things not looking good in Jacksonville. Speaking of Houston, they're up 10 nothing on Tampa Bay right now. Kaimi Fairbairn with a field goal. Only 14 yards total have been gained in this <laughs> one. Uh, we're nine minutes left in the first half, but...
2: Let's just skip ahead of the Tampa Bay headline then. Yeah. Because that's really interesting. We saw this.
1: Jameis Winston with two picks already today, but we saw this on Pro Football Talk that Bruce Arians and Tampa Bay seriously considering bringing back Jameis Winston in 2020. Uh, Lydia, you being you having him on your fantasy team.
2: <laughs> Sadly, yes. Uh, <laughs> well, he's almost like a fantasy player. They're almost treating him like a fantasy player in real life where they – value yards but are do they are they valuing interceptions properly because you know in fantasy they're like minus one points but should they be
1: yeah still <laughs> oh, man your,
2: your touchdown to interception ratio, ratio would here. you
1: if you were a gm of a team like an actual real life nfl team and Jameis Winston was already your starter but you look at the just the number of decent to halfway decent quarterbacks that don't turn it over as much as Jameis that are going to be available. you got Teddy Bridgewater, Andy Dalton, Ryan Tannehill, Marcus Mariota. There's going to be a lot of free agent quarterbacks available this offseason. You know, and with how much ball security is emphasized in the NFL, is Jameis Winston the best Tampa Bay can do in 2020, especially if they're going to pay him the franchise tag to keep him around?
2: And how frustrating is that for their defense, which has had moments of being absolutely great this year on run defense it's been phenomenal but if you are just going out there all the time because your quarterback turns it over there's got to be a disheartening element to that and i would believe it would wear on you throughout the season
1: yeah because he's now at up to 27 interceptions this season at least 26 yeah he has an opportunity to become the first quarterback in nfl history to throw 30 touchdowns and 30 interceptions in the same season. That's absurd. I can't. 30 interceptions is way too many. And if you're on Tampa Bay's defense, you're just like, dude, you're leaving us out here to dry, man. Like, let's... Don't do it. Speaking of Houston, J.J. Watt tweeting pretty cryptically this week about maybe making a return in the playoffs. He's been out since early in this season. I mean, if he comes back... That's that's an added layer to a Houston team that you've got Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins offensively. Defensively, they're missing a lot of pieces right now. But if you get J.J. Watt back for the postseason, I think it makes the AFC postseason a lot tougher to predict, which is already going to be tough. Baltimore right now seems to be the best team in the AFC, but you've got Kansas City and Pat Mahomes. You'd be a fool to pick against New England in December and January add a healthy J.J. Watt to Houston, mm-hmm. it's going to be tough to, to see. It's going to be tough to pick who's coming out of the AFC.
2: Yeah, it was interesting. You mentioned New England, though, to watch that Houston-New England game. Obviously, they've been had J.J. Watt out, but how they did get after the quarterback and some former Seahawks in the mix in that one, Jacob Martin, and even Barkevius Mingo, I think, getting in on the action in that game. So, yeah, like if you can add J.J. Watt to that mix, I think it gets a lot more interesting. Although, it's sad to say, but I don't ever count on him long-term. No, because... And unfortunate for him. I
1: think this is the third season in the last four that he has missed double-digit games. And last year, it was healthy for the entire season. Looked like the old J.J. Watt, but you get that label of sort of being a fragile player or just... I don't know if he's fragile, but it. you look at just how finely tuned he is... It's kind of like DK Metcalf, where kind of taking care of a Lamborghini, mm-hmm. which means you got to be extra meticulous about the care that goes into this player. And, and JJ Watt, for you know whatever reason, he has been unable to stay healthy three out of the last four seasons. You kind of wonder how much he's going to have left if this continues in 2020 and 2021. Uh, speaking of a guy bouncing back from injury, Richard Sherman. He is uh, He's going to play today against the Rams. He got a lot of heat for the contract he negotiated for himself with San Francisco coming into the 2018 season. But he's starting to hit a lot of those bonuses he put in his contract. Very
2: incentive-laden.
1: Yeah. Uh, a million-dollar playing time bonus that he's going to get despite the fact that he missed too much time to qualify for that playing time bonus.
2: Yeah, this was an interesting story. He's already getting his $1 million Pro Bowl bonus, obviously. But yeah, they had a $1 million incentive for playing 90% of defensive snaps. Now, he's already missed too m- much time to qualify for that. But according to Richard, he told this to the San Francisco Chronicle, there are, they're going to pay that to him anyway. So that's a really interesting decision. I think also
1: I believe that Pro Bowl bonus that he's getting also triggers a one million dollar raise in his contract next year in base pay. I mean, shout out to him for reaching these milestones. Uh, You know, it it does make the contract a lot more, a a lot better at face value now that he's reached this these points in it. And you know, knowing how competitive Richard Sherman is. Mm Like he's a guy that that needs stuff like that in order for him to, to play his best because he just he's always always competing in everything that he does. I think and
2: he's been through the entirety of his career, probably since he was young, great at proving people wrong, great at proving doubters wrong, and has no problem living in that uh, in that area. So yeah, to all the people that I guess doubted him on his contract or at least on some of these incentives, impressive for him, but also for the organization to just say hey you didn't reach this but
1: but we respect you enough respect you enough
2: to pay out one million for that
1: big big day for richard sherman's pocketbook uh, an update on the bucks and texans buccaneers lining up for a field goal with about eight and a half to play in the first quarter blocked texans take over <laughs> it has been a comedy of errors for tampa Yay. bay early on Those are some of the biggest headlines in the NFL this week as we head into Week 16. Coming up next, the hot takedown. A lot of people throwing shade the Seahawks' way this week. We do our best to throw it back right at them right here on Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs.
0: On 710 ESPN Seattle. The holidays,
1: they can be a stressful time. You may find yourself saying things you, you don't actually mean. And I think that might be the case with this handful of sound we're about to send your way. Deion Sanders, Ryan Clark, Dominique Foxworth. Maybe it's a former defensive back thing because all three of these guys were DBs uh, during their time in the NFL.
2: Well, that's true. You might come at it from the perspective of of the defense and Seattle has had a lot of inconsistencies on that side of the ball this year. They've been mercurial, which is uncharacteristic for them. So to just walk a mile in their shoes, I do understand where maybe some of the doubt comes from at the same time.
1: And it it came all week. It was, it was from Sunday night, in fact, this first bit of audio came from. Deion Sanders on NFL Network was asked by Chris Rose – Uh, what he thinks about Seattle's fans at CenturyLink Field and if they have an impact on the game. Here's what Deion's answer was.
2: Okay, but you know
1: it's a different animal up there in Seattle. It's a different place to play, right? Some places. Not really. Not
2: really. Come on, it's loud. How many times do we we, have a false start up there? We get hyped up on the fans, the 12. Ain't nobody playing in the NFL care about no 12. Ain't nobody care about no 12.
1: Everybody got a 12. (laughs) Every team has a 12. Stop.
0: We just gave them a darn name.
1: Oh, Dion. No,
0: nobody. I have never seen a player
2: walk off the field and say, you know what, man? that, That darn crowd really made a difference in the outcome of this game. Ain't nobody care about that.
0: Mother of Pearl. That is hot.
2: Hot take.
1: One of the hottest. Yeah. Woo. Now, I did some research this week, and I think I kind of found a reason why Dion would say that about Seattle's fan base. All
2: right. Detective Rogers on the case. On the case.
1: Being a gumshoe. <laughs> Let's go. Deion Sanders in his NFL career, how many games do you think he played against Seattle in Seattle? Two. He never played in the Kingdom oh, or at CenturyLink okay. Field. Well, he never once. be a
2: contributing factor. So
1: in his long NFL career, he somehow managed to never play a road game against Seattle. And I think that's probably why he has never experienced Seattle's fans from a player perspective. He's only experienced it maybe wearing a suit, being on the sideline, doing stuff with NFL Network. For him to have an opinion about Seattle's fans like that. I, I don't know about you, Lydia, but when I put myself, I guess, in the mindset of a Seahawks fan that is going to be there tomorrow and that mm-hmm. is going to – you know, feel just this rage within. I hope the the 12s that are in attendance tomorrow, I hope the Seahawks fans that are in attendance tomorrow, they bring a lot of stuff that makes their presence known specifically to Deion Sanders, whether it be signs that call him out directly. Like, I, I want to put that on Seahawks fans for tomorrow. Make sure... Dion Sanders specifically hears you.
2: As a challenge, yeah. I don't think the 12s need any more motivation, but you're right. they got a little extra bulletin board material should they want to. And I think, you know, facts uh, prove him wrong on that one with the amount of false starts that have happened in that building. So also you really just don't need to uh, fight that one too much because, I don't know, facts.
1: Yeah. And, <laughs> and also the Seahawks have an undefeated record at home in the postseason. Uh, under Pete Carroll, they've never lost a home game in the postseason. I think there is a distinct home field advantage here in Seattle. All right, that, so may be crazy.
2: Hot takedown on that one. Woo!
1: That was hot. That's hot takedown number one. Woo! It continues, though. Ryan Clark of ESPN, he's a two-time recipient this week of the hot takedown. Mm-hmm. Here he is calling Seattle and Green Bay the worst 11-3 teams he's ever seen
2: and the Green Bay Packers. Just today specifically, the Green Bay Packers are up at home and the Bears are a pitch
0: away from having an opportunity to tie this game up. The same thing with the Carolina Panthers and the Seattle Seahawks. These are the two worst 11-3 teams I've seen in forever. And if you
2: look at the point differential for a team like Seattle, they're a 500 team. And so now let's get to the bottom end of the playoffs. We watched the Dallas Cowboys play
1: today and... If they sneak in, do you think teams want to go down and play the Dallas Cowboys at AT AT&T Stadium? This is why, this is why, this is why I'm hot. (laughs) Ryan Clark, that wasn't the only hot take he had. Him and Dominique Foxworth later would say, that the Seahawks will lose their first playoff game whatever round that comes in.
2: How about the Seahawks, who who could be trending towards being the number one seed? If they beat San Francisco, they'll be the number one seed, and they have an
1: MVP caliber player in Russell Wilson. Why do you make that face?
2: Because I told <laughs> you all a long time ago that the Seahawks weren't even going to make the playoffs. I was wrong, and I considered, <laughs> I, I considered well, apologizing, but I didn't because I still don't think that they are a very good football team. I think that Russell Wilson blacks out in the fourth quarter and saves game for them but I don't trust them, and I don't think anyone should. I think they're they're obviously in the playoffs, but I can't imagine. If they have to go down to Dallas, I don't think they make it out of the first round. You know what? I, I agree with that. I think if this team has to play Dallas in the first round, I believe the Dallas Cowboys will beat them. They are winning very close games, single-score games, and it's because of the quarterback that they have, but they haven't improved defensively, which I thought they would throughout this season, and so they scare me when you get into the battles against What's the Olympics. Yeah, hot,
0: hot, hot.
2: Be
1: careful. Very hot.
2: Very hot. And you mentioned the defense came up right there. We were talking about these are all defensive-minded guys, and I think they come at it from the perspective of this doesn't make sense to me. How have they won this many close games? How is their point differential so different? But it's not like Major League Baseball where run differential is a better predictor of future behavior where you have to play 162 games. This is the NFL. Any given Sunday is an expression for a reason. And those teams that are good at winning those close games, which Pete Carroll is, and, and the grit that the team is able to show. Unfortunately, in the fourth quarter, it's kind of been the reverse where yeah. uh, the defense has had some struggles there. But teams, historically, that can win close games, and that can win on the road, they can go far in the playoffs. Pete
1: Carroll spoke about close games and. the he said he loves playing close games.
0: I love close games. I love. I think they they help you. They they make you stronger. They keep you in the game longer. Um, they make you have to focus farther. You know, and and, uh, um, and and it prepares you for more kinds of things that can happen. That you need. You know, you need background and experience. in. but it. You know, it, it would really be okay if we could win by a lot sometimes. <laughs> you know, that'd be fun. But um, just this is this season. You know, it's really this, these seasons write a story, and that's kind of the story of what's been going on all year long.
1: I'll say this about the Seahawks and their their tendency to play close games this year. I think only one, I think two games this year have been decided or three games this year have been decided by more than one score. Two of those were losses, one of those was a win against Arizona. You live by the sword, you die by the sword, but the Seahawks 10 wins this season by by one possession or more. Oh, that there's luck involved in that, but also it takes skill to be able to in the tightest moments when it can go one way or another, to come out on the other side at, what, 10-1 and 1 in games decided by one score, that that to me shows that the Seahawks are at their most comfortable in those kinds of moments. And Russell Wilson also, he has shown, you know, except for the interception he threw against the 49ers in overtime, but at the end it didn't cost the Seahawks anything. I think that's just how the Seahawks are. Are that's how they're built is to win close games, and you hear it in Dion. You hear it, Ryan Clark. You hear it, Dominique Foxworth. All three of those guys just kind of discounting what the Seahawks have done this season, like eleven wins in the NFL. That's no joke.
2: Yeah, I, Pete also said this. I, I was. There was two different quotes on close games, and I really liked his message at the end of this one. I,
0: I think it's gonna, it's it's only gonna help us. I think all of the young guys that have been through those games, they're not tensing up, they're not worried about what's going to happen. They just keep thinking we're going to find a way, and that's powerful, and, and it really supports uh, what the the guys, the experienced guys, have been around the and how they think. So. No, just wait. A Sorry for the fans. You have to, like I've said before, you have to suck it up and <laughs> enjoy yeah. the wins. And sometimes they just come a little later than than uh, you want. Yeah. It so, goes.
1: You
2: can't get everything that you want. Apology Rolling, accepted. Rolling Stones had that song. Okay, you can't always get what you want. It's, you get the wins.
1: It's true, and that's at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. And yeah, a lot of times they haven't been, you know, the most comfortable way of going about it. We thought that was going to be the case on Sunday when they had the thirty to ten lead. But oh, those tricky Seahawks! Mm-mm. They they forced us to stay tuned in until that very final whistle. Because I got to be honest, when it was thirty to ten, I I did put my feet up a little bit, and I was like, "All right, this this game, summer is...
2: vacation, okay, yeah. we're gonna be fine." Oh no, it's midterms week again. Oh, it's wow. finals week,
1: and and all of a sudden you're you're scratching and clawing your way, and it's just like, holy cow! Russell Wilson also talked about how Seattle is so good at winning close games,
0: being patient. Uh, just uh, having great poise, um, having great language, having great confidence. Um, and then when it comes down to it, it's all about execution. You know, when the game's online, can you execute, can you not? Can you make the play, can you not? And uh, we got you have to have ball players. You have to guys you know can tr- truly make plays. And we've got a lot of those guys that are making a lot of great plays. I think the offensive lines have been doing a great job in those moments. And the defense has. They've been t- getting turnovers and uh, have been really special over the past several weeks. And it's been really cool to watch.
2: Yeah, belief and execution, those are two key words there. In situations where they do get down, Danny O'Neill made this point earlier this week on Danny and Gallant, too, that even the Baltimore game and the Saints game, to a certain degree for a lot of that game, they were right in it and yes. hung with them. So even in their losses, they're a team that generally doesn't get blown out or at least until late in the game. If you have those two things, belief and execution, uh, you can go a long way with that.
1: I mean, that's, that's what the Seahawks have done for – The entirety of Pete Carroll's tenure, why would it change now, you know?
2: But again, I'm fully comfortable being the enigma, being the team out there that everybody is pulling their hair out trying to figure out why they're as good as they are. And meanwhile, you're just flying under the radar and winning the games you're supposed to win. The underdog role is one that Seattle is very comfortable with, has been the entire time uh, during Pete and John's tenure. I think that has actually been those years that they've, I found the most success is when people and detractors have not thought they were going to do well. So let's go.
1: To that point, it is so hard to even lock up home field advantage in the NFL. I think the Seahawks have only done it twice in their franchise's existence, and they have an opportunity to do it here in 2019. And yet, even with that possibility, they are still going to be kind of in this underdog role as the team with the best regular season record in the NFC, Potentially with you know, with two more wins that will be the case. And yet there are still going to be people out there that say, well, you know, thirteen and three, it's kind of a fluke. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't, I don't know. Thirteen wins is no joke. And that's what the Seahawks have an opportunity to do. Coming up next, National Signing Day, the early period at least, happened this week. What were the biggest surprises in the Pac twelve? And we also play you some really cool audio from Emmett Smith. About his son's decision to attend another school over his alma mater. We get into all that coming up next, Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs.
0: On 710 ESPN Seattle.
1: So I'm offering this simple phrase. National Signing Day. I, I don't know. There was no transition. Segway. Yeah, look at that. There was nothing there You're for welcome. me. You're welcome. Seattle Sports Saturday on 710 ESPN Seattle. Uh, you look at the landscape of college football right now. The typical teams atop the recruiting rankings following the early signing period, which was Tuesday of this last week. That's when it began. I believe it ran through Thursday. And then it opens up again in February of 2020. You have the the usual suspects, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, whatever. But there were some surprises, most specifically in the Pac-12. And I think the biggest surprise we saw was USC, which is traditionally the school in the Pac-12 historically, they finished dead last through the early signing period. I believe they only got one four-star commitment and the rest were three stars and this is a this is a, a school that we're so used to seeing get every five star on the west coast. I mean that to me was it was it was jaw dropping to see that happen to a school that, you know, we always look at and say that's that's where you want to be in the Pac-12. No one wants to be where they're at right now.
2: No, it, the brand that they have built there you know, P. Carroll building that up to just a different level of celebrity almost. And then to watch the past couple of years, although they were still in the top recruiting classes, we looked it up because we were trying to find out the last time UW was sitting atop the conference. And, well, we went back as far as 2002. Mm-hmm. and Never
1: saw it. Never saw and it. most of those years it was USC, Oregon thrown in every now and then. But it was usually USC atop. Exactly, the, the recruiting, range.
2: and there's part of it too that aside from the brand that has been built, but also it's Southern California. Yeah, like it's LA. You're, that sells itself a little bit. It's and
1: you look at the tradition of the school, and maybe we're putting too much emphasis on USC's tradition because I think it was SB Nation this week that put out when the when uh, this current 2020 recruiting class. How old these kids were when teams won their last championship. USC, their last title was, what, 2004 when they beat Oklahoma. These kids were like three years old, four years old when that happened. Like now, holy cow.
2: Which is crazy to think. Yeah,
1: and I mean, I don't blame these kids for not knowing how good USC was back then because they were in in preschool when that happened.
2: And Clay Helton, by all accounts, is the nicest guy ever. We've heard that from Brock Heward, who has had interactions with him and also just his reputation. But at the end of the day, sometimes being the nicest guy in the room is not going to win you the big name recruits. It's not necessarily, we talked about Chris Peterson stepping down in his final game as a head coach for now today, later today and him not, you know, enjoying or the, those elements of recruiting being the salesperson. Well, Sometimes it just doesn't lend your. If you are the nicest person in the room, it's not always the same characteristic as having to be a salesperson.
1: And it's it's hard to sell if you, even if you are a salesperson for USC, it's hard to sell seven win seasons and eight win seasons, which that's pretty much what they've been doing post Pete Carroll for the majority of. It. Yeah, they've won a couple of Rose Bowls here or there, but those are those are more infrequent uh, than. You know, anything else that they've accomplished. But then that also brings the question is it fair to measure a recruiting class immediately? Because we also looked at what the 2015 recruiting class for the Huskies, which was ranked like fourth or fifth in the Pac 12.
2: Was Arizona number two that year?
1: Was that no, year? that was 2006. Oh, yeah. whatever. That was reason. a shock. Yeah. But Washington in 2015, that recruiting class brought in Jake Browning, Miles Gaskin, and Trey Adams, three stalwarts guys you just plugged in your lineup didn't have to worry about like there's no way you could rank that recruiting class years down the road in the Pac-12 as anything less than number one because that's they accomplished so much in their time at Washington
2: yeah ranked sixth in the league they had five four stars 18 three stars and uh, Chris Peterson took pride not in the star element but in getting those OKGs, those guys that he believed in, and getting the best out of his players. So I'm with you. It's hard to evaluate these classes based purely on, on on
1: what they are right now. Yes. Because three, four years down the road, I think, is the ultimate measurement of a recruiting class. But
2: for some context in that year, USC is sitting at number 1, f- uh, five-star recruits, four of them, and 14 four stars. Wow. So UCLA was in second with three five stars. Just quite a difference that a couple of years makes here. So by that same regard, do you I, the part thing that I was most encouraged by was the fact that you didn't lose any big names yes. in the coaching transition. Nowadays the transfer portal is even very trendy. So the commitment could easily change mm-hmm. here before they had actually signed their letter of intent. And you didn't see any of that with the changeover from Chris Peterson to Jimmy Lake, which I think they have familiarity with Lake having mm. probably met him before.
1: And there wasn't really any rumors of players wavering on their commitments. Mm-hmm. It was pretty much, I think we saw Jalen McMillan tweet out like 24 hours after Chris Peterson's resignation that like, I'm I'm not going I'm anywhere. Dog. Like a hundred percent in, just to kind of re- reassert himself is like you don't have to worry about me I'm sticking right here
2: and then was Jacoby Covington too that also had previously sort of wavered the safety from Arizona yeah and had open reopened up his commitment and Jimmy Lake in fact you know encouraged or getting him to commit to Washington so the fact that none of the offensive players too really had any doubts or fluctuated uh, even with that change like Ethan Garber's and in the QB out of California, uh, or yes, as mentioned, Jalen McMillan, I think that's that's a good sign for Husky fans out there.
1: It is, and and you look at the Pac-12 uh, just as a whole in recruiting. Yeah, USC, they came up well short of probably expectations, but you see Oregon up there among the best teams recruiting. Even Colorado had a really good recruiting class. I think they were top 30 in the country. Uh, which kind of is a testament to Mel Tucker, their head coach, and just his ability to get players bought in. He, I know he was a, a key recruiter in, when he was the defensive coordinator at Georgia over the last couple of years. Um, so that bodes well for the Pac-12 in the future. ASU, they brought in a really good class. I know they, Herm Edwards and his guys, Antonio Pierce's defensive assistant, he's a huge recruiter for the Sun Devils. Um, and just kind of the the system that they – You know, have put in place. Um, You know, even the Cougs—they finished tenth in the Pac-12. But that's, I think, that's kind of a comfortable spot for the Cougs to be in because Mike Leach has shown that it doesn't really matter the kind of star-level players he gets; he can turn them into, you know, into diamonds, you know, left and right. I mean, you look at the quarterbacks that have come through and Pullman. Very few of them have been, you know, four guy, four star guys, five star guys. I don't think he's gotten really any quarterback that was a four star. I think they've all kind of been three star players. Um, but man, like the Cougs, just they can coach them up.
2: Yeah, uh, I think Leach has a great eye for the talent that will work within his system and who can find success. And on the defensive side of things, you're you're always going to be working with slightly undersized or just a different group of recruits, but the, the way that they've you know turned them out is pretty impressive over the last couple of years.
1: Now some of the best audio from National <laughs> Signing Day came from another Pac12 school. It came from EJ. Smith, the son of Emmett Smith, who chose Stanford over his dad's alma mater of Florida. Mm-hmm. That was his final two. Emmett Smith asked about his son picking Stanford over his alma mater. Here is Emmett's response. At the, at the end of the day, my son has his own journey. And it is his journey, not my journey. And for him to do the things that is best for him is what we teach all of our children, to find what is best for you and go make it happen for yourself. And I'm proud of him for standing up and being the man that he is,
2: the man that he will continue to become. And uh, I'm a Gator. He's still a gator because he's in my family. And that's and, and and uh my wife was
1: a gator because she's in our family. So we're we're still a family of gators, but we're supporting not only EJ, we support scholar we support Jasmine, we support Reagan and Elijah. All of our children, no matter where they go. We're gonna be parents first, then we can fall in with our kids, fall in second. Emmett Smith. Good dad. Oh man,
2: Great loved dad. it. I, and he had the hat. He even had the gator hat and he put it on himself and he goes, yeah, I'll be the gator. That's fine. I loved hearing this. There's so much pageantry and things that go on around recruiting day. At the end of the day, it's, it's a young people making this decision and it should be up to them. And it's just refreshing to see the support. We've seen, in fact, these televised press conferences live where parents have,
1: kind of in the moment overshadowed their kid yeah, yeah i think landon collins's mom yes lsu like is the yeah. better
2: place yeah it's I, I, yeah this is great i i it was he, also hearing his son speak had a really mature response and, and talking about how the education part of it getting a a scholarship offer from stanford was just like too hard to pass up that was cool
1: coming up next some of the biggest questions facing the seahawks as they get set to host arizona tomorrow Explain yourself, Seattle. That's next. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle.